Not only is Habakkuk complaining, he's also confused. You know, he just spent the first couple verses whining about how wicked Israel was and how they perverted justice and how they were uh, uh, violent and, and how they, they were striving with one another and how there was contention and how justice seemed to be perverted. And now he's taking a second tone later in the verse, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so please forgive me. But now Habakkuk is having a problem with the how. Is there anybody here this morning who can relate with Habakkuk? I can totally relate. I can put my shoe, myself right in the shoes. That sometimes in my life, not only do I not like the timing that God does things, I don't like how he does things. I really don't. I'll just be totally honest with you. I really, you know, if I was God, I, I, I could see myself and I, I would do things probably he wouldn't do. I'd make messes he doesn't make, but I would still, you know, just like, no, we're not going to, we're going to bypass this. We're just going to expedite, we're going to make this faster. Just go here, you know. I'd be like Bruce Almighty. Ever seen that movie? Any Bruce Almighty fans here? And he's by the computer, and he's God. I know, heretic. It's, it's, it's really not a good example, but we'll go there. And he's overwhelmed by all that's being flooded with, in his mind and his ear of the prayer of God's people, and he just starts emailing, and yes, 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 yes. But then the consequences of that is like devastation. There's a lot of things that happen in the world. Just, that would be me. That would be me. My, my friend Daniel Lim said this. I got a chance to talk to him about this verse, and... I loved what he said to kind of help me process. He said, um, vision is not only what we see, but also the way in which we see it. In this case, the things we don't see. You know, because in a sense, Habakkuk is looking, right? But, 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 but the way he's processing, what the way and, and the things he's actually looking at and he's obsessing over are not the things in which God is doing. Is there anybody here this morning that you just, I can totally relate to this, where you've just been so distracted, so obsessed with everything going, uh, you know, wrong around you in your life, emotionally, financially, in your relationships, marriages, everywhere, and you're just, you're locked in and it almost causes this, kind of, you know, wrestle within you because you cannot see. You're so trapped. You feel so pressured that you cannot see anything that God is doing. And therefore, you start to say, God, prayers like this. Anybody relate? What are you doing? <laughs> like, do you see what's going on? I mean, is there anybody here? God, my point is this. God is always at work, friends. He's always at work, and this just proves that point. There's chaos going on, there's violence going on, there's strife, all these things, but yet God commits himself and says, Habakkuk, I'm at work in your days. I'm not idle. I am at work. And so Habakkuk's eyes are on the people, right? And what they're doing and not on God and what he's doing. He's, he's blinded by what seems to be off right around him. He's distracted, really. Honestly, he's distracted and unable to see all that God is doing in the midst of the chaos. And God's loving response is this, look. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't first address what's wrong in the people of God. He addresses what's wrong with Habakkuk's perspective. And, 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 and it's simple as this. And we're going to find that both 
arguments, both complaints that, are, that, that Habakkuk makes over the, plan, the time and plan, excuse me, God simply says this, Habakkuk, the, the prescription for your problem is look. It's get a vision, open your eyes and see. It's as simple as that. Look among the nations, right? Verse five. I gotta be perfectly honest. I wouldn't, and I don't think anyone would be all that excited about what God shares with Habakkuk in verse six and how God is going to bring justice. And again, got a little ahead of myself. Habakkuk is no exception to the rule. He is now going to take up an argument with God about his plan. In Habakkuk 1.12, it says this. After, this is after the exchange where God says, I'm raising up this Chaldean, this, this nation who are hasty and are going to pillage and run through Israel and lay siege to them. Habakkuk's response is this in verse 12. And I'm skipping some verse, but you, you can go back and read the story for yourself in, in, in case you think I'm making it up. Um, uh, it says this in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? That's a question mark there, right? You know, it's kind of like, you know, who are you, Lord? We, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them, meaning the Chaldeans, as a judgment and you, O rock, have established them, the Chaldeans, as a reproof. And then shortly after that, in verse 13, he says this. And this just kind of lays, I guess, the, the, the axe to the root for Habakkuk with God. And he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And he's talking about the Chaldeans and he's saying, God, why would you let a wicked people conquer a righteous people? So he's taking up a problem. Habakkuk is not thrilled with God's plan. He's not thrilled with God's timing and here he's not thrilled, excuse me, with the plan. Israel shouldn't be overtaken by a, a people more wicked than them. And how could God see that as justice? And this is essentially Habakkuk's crux here. This is simply what he's wrestling with God. How do you know it's okay to wrestle with God? It's okay to ask those tough questions, especially you know, when it comes to his word, especially when it comes to the things in which he speaks to you. It's okay to have that. God is not scared of your honest dialogue. Matter of fact, he already knows what's in your heart. He knows what's upon your lips even before you speak it. I mean, do you believe that about God? Do you believe that God is big enough not to be blown away by your doubt, uh, by your questioning? I mean, he's, he's, he's secure enough not to get an identity crisis when you have an identity crisis. You believe that about God? Do you really? Because, I, I, you know, some of us walk around so puffed up, like we, we got it all together, we know it all. Yet I imagine, just like me, when you go home, there's many questions, doubts, and concerns, thoughts you have about God, and that would probably scare you. And I just want to say, guys, it's all right. God's big enough. And I think he is, feels more than secure here to handle Habakkuk's rant. So after Habakkuk kind of shares his displeasure over God's plan, Again, God says essentially the same thing to Habakkuk, just using different words, and we'll pick up reading in 
chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision, right? We're talking about sight, just like we were talking about sight in verse 5. It's just a different way of saying it. Now, now, he's, now he's actually leading Habakkuk through a more practical like, take of how to obtain the plans of God, how to now not just look and see, but write down what you see. Write down the things that I tell you. And so the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Have you ever seen those video memes? Um, yeah, I'm going to go there. <laughs> I was tortured by one a couple years ago. I, I really was. Um, it's one of those video memes that are kind of on a loop. And in, in the caption, the post, the, 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 where they put the text, there's like this these big, bold, capital letters that say, wait for it. And, you know, you just, you, you get hooked, right, just by the wait for it. You're just like, oh, what am I waiting for? And you're just like sucked right into the video. Anybody here ever? Okay. I had this experience not too long ago where I had one of those wait for it moments. You know, I was on Facebook scrolling. You know, it was a Monday, so my brain was tired, my body was tired, and I was just like, the best thing to do is scroll through my newsfeed. And so... <laughs> I was scrolling, I was scrolling, trolling. I wasn't liking any of your posts, I'm sorry. It's okay, you don't like mine either, so feelings mutual. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But I was scrolling, I got locked into this video, and it was a man who was about 40 feet up this 50-foot tree, and he was, uh, it was in black and white, and he was an old-timer. He didn't even have like a chainsaw. He had like an axe, and he was kind of tied around the tree, and just whacking at that tree, and you know, I was at, yeah, typical thing where the tree is like funneled in where he's getting right almost to the core and it's about ready to fall. And, and, and in the meme, the tree is just tilted just enough that it looks like it's going to fall and crush this dude. And so I'm thinking, I scroll past, I'm like, wait for it, right? Okay, cook, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm like, oh my God, this guy is going to get pummeled by this tree. And, you know, we're, we're going into like Six to ten minutes, and Bethany's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm waiting for it, okay? And I, I'm just locked in, and I'm waiting for it. I'm, I want to see this tree fall on this man. I mean, I know, that's sick. I get it. But I am locked in. And, and, and after like ten minutes, and my wife telling me that Abram is burning down the house, and, and I'm just still fixated over this movie, I finally take my attention. I'm like, oh, wait, something's not right here. I would be waiting for a very long time. And sure enough, I found out that the thing was just looping. And right before it got to that real big epic crescendo, that big either big thing or bad thing, it just started over. And it took me like 10 minutes. Nothing happened, essentially. Nothing Nothing happened, and it was a huge letdown. The sad thing is, is that almost a month later, I did the same thing. Yeah, I know, it was another video, wait for it, and it was two trucks heading towards an intersection. It didn't look like they were going to stop. But then after like five minutes, that video was just on a loop, and it actually looked like the road was so long that they were never going to get to that intersection. I'm like, what is wrong with that road? Like, they got to get to that stop sign. What is happening? Get to the stop sign. Never happened. It was a wait for it moment. 
and I got sucked in. Anybody here as foolish as me, you can own up to something like that? You all know, yeah, I know. You guys are too bright for that, right? Uh, yeah, sure you are. Well, I had a couple of wait for me. So can I just submit to you, this is not that kind of wait for it in Habakkuk chapter 2. I know, kind of a long way to get to the point, but it's true. God is saying, although it may seem delayed, Habakkuk, it's surely going to happen. You know, this is not something in your news feed tormenting you. This is the promises of God. And God is, is, is into fulfilling. He's not a man, what? That he would, what? Lie. He's not going to string you along. He's not going to give you, you know, X amount of promises and just say, hey, wait for it. You're on a loop, by the way. You probably never enter. And you'll probably never gain. You'll probably never see. No, this is not that kind of wait for it at all. It may be delayed, Habakkuk. But get a vision. Get a vision. You see, the real issue for Habakkuk has nothing to do with the Lord's slowness at all. It really doesn't. I mean, he's a prophet, guys. He's a big deal. He knows God, right? I mean, he talks to God, and God talks to him. He knows God, and he knows probably even in the midst of his complaining and his whining and his ranting that, that most likely the things that he's accusing God of are not true about God. He just seems to be caught up in a moment. How many here have had times of just feeling caught up in a moment? And you start saying some really wild things, start thinking some really wild thoughts about God and his timing and his plans. Well, this story is for you, friend. This story for you. This for you. So it has everything to do, again, with Habakkuk's lack of vision. His, un, his inability to see what the Lord is doing. Both times, friends, both responses that God gives to both complaints has to do with vision, has to do with looking and seeing and observing, not what people are doing, but God is doing. Listen, if your eyes are on people, you will always be disappointed. You will always be let down. If you're looking for me to be your God, you know, not that... Maybe some of you are, but you know, it gets crazy sometimes. I will let you down. I will not love you like God. I will not treat you like God. I probably won't talk to you like God. So don't get your eyes on me, and certainly don't get your eyes on one another. Extend grace and forgiveness to one another. But when it comes to God, see him as a, a more true picture of what love is. Right? And if you... If you feel as though you're in a rut of obsessing over what people are doing to you inside or outside of the church. Get your eyes off that, lift it upon God. Because ultimately, I want to tell you and just submit to you that no matter what level, stage, or day of chaos that surrounds you, God is still actively involved in pursuing and doing things on your behalf. Both times, both responses, God says, look, see. Open your eyes, Habakkuk. Oh, man. I, I pray that the Lord shouts these things over our community. I, I pray that for those who feel stuck and feel like they're in a rut and they feel far off from God, I, I pray that you have a moment like Habakkuk. I pray that I have a moment like Habakkuk where God could say, Daryl, I'm doing things. 
Don't confuse me with your trouble and your relationships. I'm at work. Much like Habakkuk here, there's two common behaviors I think that we all go through. I'll just, I'll put myself on the chopping block when it comes to um, vision, when it comes to losing sight of what God is doing, right? And that is, we get frustrated. And if you're anything like me, your frustration leads to complaining. You know? The, the, the concerns that Habakkuk has are actually legitimate. Like, like God cares about his people. But, but see, God will deal with his people. And, and if, he uses his, if he uses Habakkuk to do that, then so be it. But nevertheless, God will, these things will not go unnoticed. So they're legitimate problems. But also what is a legitimate problem here in the text is Habakkuk's problem. His problem in not having as a prophet an eye to see. And, 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 and essentially, what does it say? What does the scripture say about people with no vision? They perish. They cast off restraint. They go crazy. They start thinking thoughts. And I imagine for some it's crazy things. And I imagine for others it's just the simple kind of, God, aren't you the God who loves justice like Habakkuk? A moment of just like questioning. And some, it's just full out debauchery, full out craziness. But God, anyways, is more important at arresting Habakkuk's heart and his vision than he is concerned about his people. The second problem here is with the delayed response to the actions of his people and the frustration that mounts in Habakkuk's heart because of that delay. Again, he wasn't pleased, right, with the timing. He wasn't pleased with the plan. And so we have to kind of suss out what keeps us, right? What, what keeps us when we're like Habakkuk, not happy with the timing and not happy with the plan? What, what sustains us, right? What, what actually gets us through when we feel like God's doing nothing, I, I, I feel like it's as simple as writing the vision down and making it plain. You see, I believe that what sustains us is simple obedience, right, to certain practices. You need to hashtag that. You need to write it in your journals. You need to get that written in your heart. What sustains us in seasons when God feels delayed and uninterested is, is a simple obedience to certain practices. And in this case, it's as simple as getting a piece of paper and a pen out. Are you tracking with me? I'm not yelling at you. I'm a really happy guy. I really am. Write the vision, Habakkuk. Make it plain. So first God says, look, see, open your eyes. And then God gets practical. How many know that God can be practical? Come on. No, talk to me, guys. Don't make me preach this alone. Like God can, he can be practical. And right here, he's being practical with Habakkuk. He's saying, get 
a tablet out. Okay, don't get a tablet out. That's weird. Okay, listen, don't do that. But get your iPad out. Get your notepad. You know, whatever it is, get a pen and paper. Write the things down that God is speaking to you. Write the things down in which God is giving you vision for, both practically and corporately. It's those simple acts, guys. It changes everything. Most of the time, we're listening for the the big, you know, light to go off. God is not moved by your need for a big light to go off. He could care less. He does what he wants when he wants to. He's never, all through the Old and New Testament, has ever been moved by anybody's opinion. He has never, ever been taken by my complaints to say, God, you're not on time. He doesn't care. If you have a hard time with that, you don't know God. And it's better we just reconcile that now, get on with it, and let God be God. Come on, hear me out. Let God be God when it comes to the plan, when it comes to the timing. He knows better than you. He knows better than me anyways. Come on, we start getting hasty. We start rushing things. Man, I don't know about you. I start enforcing myself and try to, well, God, if you're not going to, I'm going to do it myself. It always ends up a mess. There's reasons why God is delayed. There's reasons why God takes his time. Because he's smart, he's logical, and he cares for you. And never once, again, guys, hear me, has he ever been taken. He's not taken here, and he will never be taken by somebody's opinion of what he should do and when he should do it. I don't know about you, I've, I've reconciled that. I don't have a problem with that. I want God to be God. I don't want to force God into some kind of mold of what I think he should be, what I think he should do, how I think he should behave, what I think he should say. Matter of fact, I imagine if God was here before us or if Jesus was preaching, we'd have a lot of thoughts of being like, whoa, that's out of line. You have, see, everybody was happy with Jesus as long as he's just healing people, raising the dead. Oh my God, you see these miracles. Well, once that man opened his mouth, put him on the cross. We're fine. We're fine with a God who just, you know, be for us what we want. Oh, but you start, you start speaking, you start speaking things we don't agree with. Get the nails out, you know crucify this man. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like you don't. Let God be God. Let him. What sustains us? Back to my point. Sorry for that rant. What sustains us is simple obedience to certain practices. I want to tell you a funny story. It happened to me, I think just Thursday. It snowed Wednesday. I was actually in a a meeting with a lovely couple, and the young man who left said, hey, Pastor Darrell, be careful of the storm. I was like, what, what storm? What do I not know about here? Because, you know, I'm like one of those guys who obsess over the weather app. I'm like, what is going to Do I have to get my shovel out? You know? <laughs> it's just like, it's like a, it's a problem. I don't know. I, I'm more on the weather app than the Facebook. I don't, I don't get it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, just letting you know. Can I get a thing of water, please? Thank you so much. It's okay. They have it, Will. Sorry, I'm just getting parts. Um, anyway, so uh, the young man leaves. And he's like, hey, be careful of the storm. You know, drive safely. I'm like, what storm? And certainly enough, I'm packing up my bag, and I'm looking outside. I'm like, oh, my God, it's snowing outside. No. No, God. 
And I start the drive home. It really wasn't that bad because the snow didn't really get out of hand on my drive, and so it's fine. And I'm driving home, and, you know, I'm noticing. It's the worst thing to run out of windshield wiper fluid in a snowstorm. Come on. can somebody, I mean, you guys who are New Englanders, you know exactly what my boy, you know exactly what your boy be talking about. It is the worst thing in the world. In the world. I, I, I would go as far to say it might be as bad as hell. Okay, funny, but not, okay, it's not true. I imagine hell's a lot worse. But, 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 but there's nothing worse than running out of windshield wiper fluid, especially um, when the sun is out and the, the, the storm had come the day before and now you're driving and the roads are salted and the, the weather's a little bit warmer and the water's melting into the streets and the salt is mixing with the water but the water's just not enough to really just overcome the salt and the other driver's cars are just spitting though it's salt and water on your car and the sun is peaked and you're like blinded by a sheet of white muck on your car. Anybody resonate with what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at me like, no, I don't have no clue what you're talking about. Get a car. Drive around. In a winter. In New England. You'll totally get it. And so anyways, I forgot to put windshield wiper fluid in my car. I was driving home that night. I was like, Daryl, Daryl, you got to stop by a convenience store. got to get that. You have a meeting in the morning. There's cars out there. there, there these trucks are, are salting these roads. you got to. So it's like, like I'm really not this panicked, but I'm thinking, I don't really want to get the fluid. I, I want, it's been a long day. I've had like five meetings. I want to go home, sleep, and be, my, with, be with my wife. And I'm fighting it. And, and I just ignored that kind of instruction that the Holy Spirit was giving me to get windshield washer fluid. No, seriously, I believe it was the Lord because he knew how frustrated I would be the next day driving. And he, and he was probably saying, Daryl, in order for you to stay saved... And, and still love me in the morning, please. Just, just. <clears throat> and so that next morning, sure enough, the snow's there. there. You know, another thing I can't stand about winters in New England is the plow trucks that plow in front of your driveway. You could have two, two inches on your driveway. But because all night, all night, just to get that union rate, plow trucks have been pushing the snow right in front of your driveway all day. And meanwhile... My dog is very small. I mean, he's a, a shy poo. He's like an ankle biter, and he's out there like walking on it. It's not even that big of a threat. But, but plow, people who drive the plow trucks, they need to make their bread. And so they're like, hey, we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it. We're going to pile that stuff up in front of your driveway. And now it's, 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 it's late in the morning. I got a meeting. I got to get to. I got snow in front of my driveway, and I got no windshield washer fluid in my Winter washer fluid thingy. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. Sorry. And I'm, I'm already, hey, listen, I'm not even on the road yet. I'm just shoveling and snowblowing my driveway, and I'm already ranting. I'm already doing the habit. I can't believe this car. Why would you let it snow in the winter in New England? I mean, these things are uncommon, you know? It's not, right? These things should be counted for, right? But I know my complaining is over. I did not put windshield washer fluid. The plow trucks have been on all night. I'm going I'm to drive. The sun is coming out. No. And sure enough, I get on 93, and I'm driving, and my windshield, wiper, my windshield is just covered with salt 
and the grime. I'm trying everything. I'm, I'm, you know, you ever just press that button hoping that it would trickle out and just like, what's left? You know, I went as far as getting my son's thermostat, our, our thermos. It had some water in it. And I opened the window and I, you know, going like 80 miles an hour. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, meanwhile, the water is coming down, down down my armpit, there's nothing worse. And, and when you're doing it, it's only like covering like two inches at the top left of the windshield. It's not even trickling down, not even getting close to make an impact. And I'm getting frustrated, right? But really, I'm getting frustrated with myself. Why? Because I didn't just get windshield washing fluid. I mean, how hard? Stop by the convenience store, get a bottle, put it in there, you're good to go for at least another two weeks. It's funny, right? But I, I honestly want to share this. There's nothing worse than having your vision clouded. There's nothing worse than having your vision that God has given you, like kind of impaired, where you just cannot see. And, 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 it, and something as simple as just putting a little windshield washing fluid in the truck so that I'm prepared would save me from great frustration the day after. Then I, I, I would dare to say just journaling writing some things down about the things God is speaking to us. And I want to break this down. And we're wrapping up here just for the sake of time. But, but I, I want us to start not just journaling vision that we have for ourselves personally. You know, God is a people kind of God. You know, he loves people, right? And so, you know, anything that God has ever spoken to me, given to me, vision, you know, a, a, an idea, whatever, it, it's, all, it's all surrounding people. It really is. I mean, maybe it's I'm a pastor. I don't know. But I think, I, I, I don't think it's because I'm a pastor. I just think God wants his people focused on his people. You know, he's a people person kind of God. And so I don't want to just have a vision for myself. I don't want you just journaling things that you see for your marriage. I, that's great, do it. Like, so cool, absolutely. Because if you fail at having vision with your marriage, you probably won't pull anything off when it comes to a corporate vision and kind of locking in and growing and going with a group of people in a direction. But I don't want you just to think, like, personally, like, for you. I want you to also journal down the things that God speaks for us. And maybe it's not as specific to something that relates to Hilltop, although I hope it is. But see what God does when you get your eyes off of people, right? Maybe, maybe dare I say, off of yourself, you know? It's a big problem in the church. We think about us, and, and ultimately, it, it, it's Habakkuk being self-absorbed. His real problem here, partially, is that he's just concerned about him, that he can't see what God is doing in the nations of the earth. Vision matters, guys, and this might be an uncanny way of kind of getting to the point, given the fact that God was kind of, his exchange with Habakkuk and the things he was sharing, his plan was kind of like, oh, you're going to send another nation, and they're going to devastate, and you know, wreak havoc on Israel, that seems kind of like way over the top, God. But if, if I don't want us to erase that because I actually get tired of charismatics who preach this verse, who never give us the full context of the story of what's going on here. Because it's the easiest way just to become self-absorbed, I believe. Like if, if we just stop and say, oh, like God wants me to have a vision for my life. Yeah, of course he does. But he also wants you to have a vision for other people too. He wants 
our vision to kind of collide and kind of complement so that his church, of which I believe the Bible says he's building, I believe that. I believe, anybody familiar with that verse? Jesus' heavenly ministry is what? He's what? Building the church. You know, I started to think about there's only a couple things that Jesus takes responsibility for in his heavenly ministry. And could you imagine that one of those responsibilities is to build his church? Think about that next time you want to criticize the church. Uh, let's, be, let's be straightforward. You're not criticizing the church. You're criticizing Jesus. You may not admit to that. You may not confess that. You may not even think that. But if God is the architect and you're unhappy with his design, then who you're really complaining about is his son because he has set Jesus in charge of what? Somebody building his church. And in order for God to build his church, he's got to give us a vision. It can't just be a vision that I have. It can't just be a vision that my wife has. It has to be a vision in which we are all arrested by, that we are all captured with. Because if we don't, it's just one or two of us. It's just one or two of us. And I don't know about you, I am tired of church like that. I don't want our vision just to rest and be written down because two people are doing it. I want a collective work. Because you know, once you, once, you, once you work towards getting a vision, you own the vision. Like once God speaks to you and he gives you his plan and his purpose and his desire for your life, you start to own it. You really do. Amen? Well, there's a lot more things that I'd like to share, but for the sake of time and that we have a couple's luncheon, of which I am excited about. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have some good food. Great food, sorry, all you single people. Be jealous, it's okay. You'll get there soon. We'll pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm really not. No, I love you all. You guys are great. But um, i got to wrap it up here. But I think an appropriate response, again, is to do just take communion. And, you know, we don't need to drum anything up. I think we just need to practice what Jesus has told us to practice. So I want jo- um, George, I almost called you Josh. Sorry, Josh is staying at my house. You are not Josh. You are George. My bad. I'm 40. Forgive me. Will you guys give a warm welcome to uh, George. George here? <laughs> he actually serves as a leader. On, at a, you think, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. So, you know, we're going to take communion in a minute or two, but I just wanted to read something from um, a book that we're reading in our small group called Liturgy of the Ordinary. If you're wondering about it, you can talk to my wife. She's everyone to read it. She gets a commission for it, so that's exciting. Um, But basically it says, both scripture and communion are necessary to our acts of worship because both together are our nourishment. At the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples to eat in remembrance of him. Of all the things he could have chosen to be done in remembrance of him, he chose a meal, something we share together. He could have asked his followers to do something impressive or mystical, but instead he picked the most ordinary of acts, eating through which to be present to his people. He says that the bread is his body and the wine is his blood. He chooses the unremarkable and plain, average and abundant bread and wine. Both word and sacrament are gifts given by Jesus who calls himself the bread of life. The word of God and the meal of God's people are intended to point to and make manifest in the presence of Christ who is both the word and the bread. Christ is our bread and gives us bread. He is the gift and the giver. And so in remembrance of him, 
and what he has done, we're going to partake in communion, communion together. If you ha didn't get it on your way in, I believe the ushers are coming around with a basket, so raise your hand and they'll, and they'll give it to you. Um, and just before we take communion together, um, I'm just going to pray real quick. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity to know you in the simplest of ways. Thank you, Lord, for being present in our midst and for being our nourishment and giving us life. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this opportunity to take part in this holy meal together. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that this is a reminder of the forgiveness that was extended towards us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it also reminds us how we're to forgive one another, that we're to take on the mind of Christ and be a forgiving people to the full degree that we've been forgiven. Father, I pray that we would forgive others in the same manner. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. 
that you shed upon the tree. We thank you for your obedience, Lord. We thank you for what it means for us. We have a great hope because you have given us so much in your son's death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we love you. And Lord, we know we're loved by you. Convince us of this. This week, Lord, convince us of your love for us, Lord, through many things and many ways. Use your word to convince us. Use your voice to convince us. Father, I just pray for a great week for these saints this week, God, that it would be filled with great promise and great presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.